Hello, hello, this is Paloma Duran and welcome to Side News, a weekly podcast dedicated on reporting news from Latin America that are not widely covered by the mainstream media. In this podcast, we are going to discuss the main issues of the region, but also its main achievements. And as always, we are going to invite a national from the country that is being discussed so that they can give us a more local perspective of what is going on. So, we'll leave you with the second episode of Side News. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the self-proclaimed coolest dictator in the world, Salvadoranian President Najib Bukele. Do you know that even though Bukele measures to end gangs and violence have been accused of violating human rights, close to 90% of the population support them? So, let me explain you who is Bukele. So, in 2019, El Salvador elect Najib Armando Bukele Ortez to be president. The businessman's and foreign major path to the president was actually very hard because he struggled to find a political party. However, it actually had worked at the last moment because, according to the polls, Bukele's supporters were very angry with traditional parties. So, Bukele is considered actually to be a populist, an outsider candidate who ran against the system. And he says that he comes from the left. However, for the election, he had to actually get a party and it was right. Nevertheless, Bukele is still considered to be a different to other presidents. So, it's actually because he has criticized them quite a lot. In his campaign, he even had slogans that said, there is enough money when nobody steals, and return what was stolen. So, he was actually referring to the alleged disappearance of funds during the administration of former presidents such as Francisco Flores and Antonio Saca. So, what have been some of the main changes achieved in these three years that he has been on the presidency? Okay, so according to government data, during the first three years of his government, he actually created more than 50,000 jobs. And this is really important because he actually has support a lot of small and medium-sized companies. And in addition, he has actually promoted to do a lot of construction works, which actually create a lot of jobs. So, in addition, he's actually the first president in a chief that the economy of El Salvador to grow 10.3% and for any country that is quite a lot. However, it has some controversial measures that we actually have to pay attention to. The first one is that he chose to make Bitcoin his national currency. And right now the law is said to be one of the government's biggest failures. So last year when Bitcoin coin was really actually strong, Bukele made a major purchase with the government money. However, with the fall of the Bitcoin market, in which it has lost half of his value in the last six months, there are now losses in the National Reserve. And because of this decision, the country is now expected to have a large short-term debt, limited resources to finance its works, and of course, a public debt that will reach more of the 90% of the GDP that it will have in this year. 
However, that is not his most controversial measure, but the approach he has taken against insecurity and violence. So let me tell you what is going on here. So Bukele government declared war on the Gens after the murder of 87 people at the end of March. So according to El Faro, which is a national newspaper, the wave of murders was due to the breaking of a pact between the government and the Mara Salvatrucha gang, which is actually one of the most famous and fearsome street gangs in Latin America. So before delving into the crisis caused by the harsh measures against the gangs in El Salvador, let me explain you who are the Mara Salvatrucha gang and why are they so important for the story. So, okay, this group was founded in the slums of Los Angeles, California, in the U.S. in the decade of the 80s. And at the time, there was a civil war in El Salvador, Guatemala, and Nicaragua, for which a lot of people were forced to immigrate to the United States. So, at the time when these people arrived, actually, Mexican gangs controlled the streets. So, these gangs actually began to take control over the migrants and actually motivate the emergence of new gangs. And this was the case for the Salva Trucha. So after the escalation of violence by different gangs, not only the Mara Salva Trucha, especially because they began to murder people, the United States began a program of mass deportation to El Salvador Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, and other Latin American countries. This massive deportation of around 20,000 people turned the Mara Salvatrucha not into a gang that only operated on the U.S., but into a transnational organization, which today is one of the main engines of violence in the whole region. Okay, so... Returning to the breaking of the pact between the Salvadorian government and the gang, according to members of the Maras, uh, the murders occur because they were like trying to settle accounts after Bukele betrayed them. So according to them, actually, the government called the leaders of the gang and told them, hey, let's meet here to discuss some issues. However, when they arrived, they actually were captured. After that, because the Mara do not only have one leader, they have so many. So the leaders that were still free actually start to murder a lot of people in order to send a message to the government. So after the intense massacre in the country, President Bukele intensified his efforts in what he described a war against the gangs. So. In total, under the state of exception that has been enforced in Salvador since March 27, 36,000 people have been detained. And that is according to the Salvadorian police. We do not know if they're actually, the figure is higher. So right now, by civil organization, it is estimated that around 2% of the population over the age of 18 are actually behind bars. Before the measure was imposed, 16,000 people were in prison. Right now, there are around 47,000 of the 70,000 members that the gangs are presumed to have. So we can actually see that it is 
most of them. So, after the measure, there were threats of the gang saying that they would actually murder more people if Ukulele continued to repress these groups. And, quoting Bukele, this is what he said. There are rumors out there that they want to start taking revenge on random honest people. Do that and there will not be meal time in prison. Let's see how long your homeboys last there. I swear to God, they will not even eat a rice. So actually the president has maintained his promise and that's why there has not been a lot of violence by the gangs and although it could be said that the measure worked, it has been quite accused of violating human rights of the prisoners. So, the president made commitment to deploy massive operations to quickly capture suspect gang members has drawn actually a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of attention by the international community, especially human rights organizations. So, currently, the government is actually accused of massive violations of human rights. So, according to an investigation by Amnesty International, since the implementation of the state of emergency, torture and indiscriminate arrests have been registered. In addition, they have been allowed because there is a suspension of constitutional guarantees to citizens. So, according to Christosal, which is like a non-governmental organization, there are more than 500 cases of arbitrary detention. Meanwhile, Amnesty International said that thousands of people have been arrested without complying with the legal requirements. So, experts such as Veronica Reyes, which is Director of Human Rights of the Passionist Social Service in El Salvador, said that many of these arbitrary arrests have affect above all and as always the population of marginalized impoverished and excluded neighborhoods so actually there's even rumors where these uh detentions are only happening in the poorest streets or zones of the country so it's not being targeted by everyone but to the poor and which has led for of course to them be the first suspects of being members of these gangs so actually two weeks after the measure was imposed Bukele acknowledged that there could be a mistake on his uh, measure because around one percent of the detainees could actually not be related at all with the gangs. However, he stressed that as most of them are working, well, he will continue to do them. So, experts said that the fact that the government knows that there is like an error on these uh, detentions, it means that the government is not actually doing them by investigations, but targeting neighborhoods. So, under the new lies, police officers now, do not have to explain why are they detaining people. They can just arrive to anyone's home and actually just put the person under the ground that he has an illicit association for alleged gang membership. Uh, this was at the beginning. However, now people are saying that are being detained 
on the grounds of having tattoos. So according to human rights associations, detainees can remain actually 15 days without access to lawyers. And when they do, their cases do not advance at all because like right now, the defender's offices are so overwhelmed by the quantity of cases. So it is estimated that around 10,000 new cases have been accumulated. However, there's only 250 public defenders in the country. So that's why most of them are expected to remain in jail for a long, long time. So there have been a lot of, of accusations by the police, by citizens, by human uh, rights associations that it is actually not working as it should. Because according to the police union, the situation had got out of hand, especially because now commanders are pushing their police officers to fill quotas of people detained. So therefore, police officers are being forced to do whatever it takes to fill the quota, including giving false statements to link people to these gangs. So actually, last month, three police officers were arrested for trying to collect money uh, of citizens in exchange for them to not detain them. So another thing that is also happening in all this uh, environment of the violence is that Bukele governments has also attacked journalists. So in April, Bukele passed a law that threatens any journalist who reports about these gangs with 10 to 15 years in prison. So actually, hours after the announcement and FADO, which is a really big and important Salvadorian newspaper who actually was the one that said that the violence of the country happened after the breaking of agreements between the government and the gangs, were, was accused of being a terrorist, a spokesman for gangs and mercenaries. So according to the Association of Journalists of El Salvador, this is completely censorship. And quoting the association, it says prohibiting journalism from reporting on the reality of thousands of people living in these gang-controlled communities will create an illusion that the truth is not the truth. So in addition to the problem that people would not have all the information they need, Due to the law, a lot of journalists have actually began to have to leave the country to avoid arrest. And they have even to seek refugee in nearby countries such as Mexico, where the situation for journalists is not good either. So according to the association, the fact that the government is supporting this repression of, against journalists has made the press, uh, the attacks against press went from 77 in 2019 to 220 in 2021, which is almost 200% of increase. So, meanwhile, Bukele has been questioned by the international community and a lot of human rights defenders. He is accusing them for their repentant interest in El Salvador. He has said that those who criticize his government actually, and he's referring to the US, 
that had uh, lured and killed Nica, uh, El Salvadorian, sorry, for more than 40 years. And he's saying that he's actually angry because they are accusing his government when they actually do not know what the Salvadorians want or need. In his word, Bukele said, I don't care what international organizations said about protecting our people. If they did, they would come and take the gangs away. If you want them, they are yours. So, in addition, he has said that no one, not an organization nor a country, will come to his house uh, in Salvador to tell him how to do things or give orders. However, he said that his country is open for constructive criticism and that he would actually like to be an example for the region. So, in addition, he's saying and defending all his measures because according to him, he's very close to winning the war against gangs. And according to Bukele, El Salvador is about to become the safest country in Latin America as it only had 17 murders last month and all thanks for his for for his measures so despite being vigorously questioned by national and international actors according to public opinion polls around 90% of the population approved his government and what is even more shocking is that 91% of the population approves the measures against gangs. According to the center, the approval is mostly due to the $300 that he gave to support the population during the pandemic and of course the $30 he gave per person to promote the use of Bitcoin. So, in addition, a lot of people say that they actually like that Bukele has a strong hand against crime because when it is compared to past governments, he actually had made significant progress. So, currently, the country outlook depends on whether it is based on respect of human rights or reducing the killing of civilians by these gangs. The scenario actually seems that it will be maintained since the government announced that it will continue his war against gangs until all are in jail or there is peace. So consequently, human rights violations and arbitrary arrests are expected to continue. However, it seems that violence in which the country has been submerged for several years is actually making the society to view these measures actually really favorable. So at the international level, right now there are sanctions and accusations against certain officers. However, these do not seem to have an impact on Bukele on his government so far. And well, that was everything I wanted to explain you about the context and of course who is Bukele. But of course, we have our guest who is going to actually explain us better uh, what is going on here because, well, he's a national. So I want to present you to Douglas Antelis who is Salvadorian and is an uh, executive assistant. Thank you so much for joining us today. Douglas, how are you? So Douglas, thank you so much for joining us today. 
And sure, thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much. And as a first question, we would like to know how did the life of Salvadorians change since Bukelele arrived to power? Well, it was definitely a change. Um, over the past 20 years, there has been a lot of corruption in El Salvador. And so Bukele's speech all the time before he even transitioned to become the president was that he was going to help out people and that he was going to somehow alleviate poverty in El Salvador because a lot of people obviously are struggling financially. So younger generations were trying to go that way and people were tired of the same political parties winning the elections over and over again. So we started seeing that trend back in 2008 when the new president from the left uh, won the elections and then people started seeing a different perspective and because Bukele was the mayor of one of the biggest cities in the capital, for instance, and then they kind of stole things how they changed and then they were like, okay, we're going to give him a shot and see how he does as a president and so people were really excited. I would say probably 90% of people that were not voting before, they decided to go and vote for him. And people were like really looking forward to having a different president, someone that was younger, someone that had a different perspective in the country, someone that could actually do something and possibly mm -hmm. change things for better. Okay. Perfect. And can you tell us uh, how has this acceptance of Bukeleli, Bukeleli government has changed over the years? It's definitely going down a little. Mm -hmm. um, I was one of the people that was kind of giving him a chance. Okay. Um, at the beginning, I was like, again, excited because there was a different person, someone that was younger, someone that was allegedly going to make a change in the country. Mm -hmm. and someone that was going to stop corruption because at the end of the day that's what everyone was looking for and obviously some sort of like assistance and, and getting the country from being one of the most dangerous countries in the world to a country that is being recognized or that is known for not violence but for something really specific or for something good um I saw that he was basically doing pretty much the same thing, but he was doing that behind the scenes, especially during mm -hmm. the pandemic, uh, in which he started like managing power and he wanted to do things that his, I don't know, on his own. He didn't want people to have freedom. And so those little things started changing and then that was a drastic change so it was totally against that and there was the time that I was like really afraid that they were going to take freedom away from people especially there was a time um, that is known on the news as well that he wanted to have people not on the street he wanted to uh, make sure that everyone was staying home the public transportation mm -hmm. was shut down for over a month and he wanted to have the other political parties approve some laws and whatever that he was really trying to 
get approved. And so, because he was not getting the attention that he was looking for, then he decided to come with the military to the parliament, which mm -hmm. was definitely not something that anyone was expecting. Okay, okay, I see. And now talking about a more polemic issue, uh, can you tell us what is your opinion about Bukelili measure against crime, especially gangs, and do you think that it's actually working? I mean, based on conversations that I've had with not only my parents that are currently living in El Salvador, but some of my friends that are still living in El Salvador, they are saying things are slowly but surely changing into better because there was a time that you could not go from one neighborhood to another because if that neighborhood quote unquote belonged to the rival gang, then you were more likely to get killed. Although you're not involved with gangs, but just mm -hmm. so you being in the wrong time, wrong date, then you were more likely to get killed. So with this new rhythm, I will say, it is working because they have taken a lot of the gang members out of the street. Like people are feeling more freedom now. They are not that scared of going to different neighborhoods or just doing day-to-day -day activities. That's something that I that I learned from my parents. They do own some businesses in El Salvador and they are telling me that they're not that scared anymore because at some point they had to pay the gangs for them to even be allowed to have a business. So that is changing because they are no longer in the street mm -hmm. and obviously it is it is changing for the better. Okay, and what do you think about the accusations, uh, especially from international organizations about the violation of human rights? As you, a person that has been there, do you think that is actually how they are portraying it on the news or they are exaggerating? I believe obviously the media is exaggerating, mm -hmm. but there is some truth to what they are saying. I mean, don't get me wrong, human rights to those people, gang members, obviously we don't have to violate them, but also they have to look at all the people that are outside, people that are not gang members, that are families being killed mm -hmm. on the street, on the spot, and nobody says anything. Like, what's going to happen with the human rights to those families that are losing family members for no reason? So we have to look at, at a bigger picture. Obviously, I'm not saying they have to mistreat people that are in prison, but mm -hmm. they also have to look for the well-being of people that are actually victims of those people that are in prison for some reason. Okay, okay, yeah, totally right. And can you tell us what is your outlook for the remaining years that the president will have? Oh, we'll stay in power. Mm -hmm. I believe that people in El Salvador, especially the elderly, they do accept everything he's saying, regardless of him being right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So I think the younger generations are not following everything he's saying because 
He is a type of person that would constantly share his message over and over again on social media okay. and trying to be quote unquote the coolest president in the okay. world. Which is some is even something that he's put on his Twitter bio a few times. Yeah. Um I mean I've seen that there are a lot of companies that are invested in El Salvador that things are going better the way that he handled the pandemic kind of mm -hmm. helped out because there are not too many lives that were lost due to COVID. Um, El Salvador was one of the first countries, I believe, that closed all the airports and um, they made sure that people were following some sort of rules to avoid the spreading of the COVID-19 virus. So for those reasons, I think the economy kind of is going slowly but surely going to grow. But at the same time, if there's still a lot of corruption behind the scenes, then I'm not sure how's that going to go. Because as mm -hmm. far as I, I remember seeing on the news, uh, El Salvador had got had gotten into that like m ten times more during his three years that has been in, in the power as a president than what El Salvador had acquired as a debt in 20 years. So that is really worrying for us, because mm -hmm. again, we, we are taxpayers, so we have to somehow come with come up with that money to, to pay all the, that external debt. My concern, though, is that he would probably change the law, because the parliament also belongs to his political party, and they're going to do whatever he says. My concern is that he would try to find a way to change the law and re-elect himself for another five years, but okay. um, we shall see. Oh, okay. Well, and as a last question, Douglas, uh, we would like to know which is a change that you would like to see in your country uh, with Bukele in power or not? And what do you think that people like you, citizens, can do to achieve that? I would say El Salvador needs to invest more money in education. Unfortunately, our education system is weak. And one of the things that the government had previously planned on is having a lot of people speaking English as a second language by 2020. That unfortunately did not happen, although younger generations are more likely to to speak English, like my generation, for instance, like a lot of my friends speak English as a second language, and we are kind of influenced by the United States at some extent. Um, so definitely investing in education is going to make a change because, again, the future generations to come are going to make a difference. And we have to make those decisions, informed decisions. But if the government is trying to hide proof or trying to hide some actions that are going to create like an environment that is not going to be good for people or it's going to be more unstable for the country, then that's definitely not ideal. So education is really important for people, for younger generations to make informed decisions and, and 
change the country and, and going to from being one of the most dangerous countries in the world to be known for something really positive. I guess that would be something ideal. Okay, you're absolutely right, Douglas. And thank you so much for your time and your insight in Salvador, uh, which I think it's going to be really important to raise awareness of what is going on in the country. So once again, thank you so much for your time and we hope to hear about you soon. <laughs> absolutely, thank you again. Thank for you. Thank you so much for joining us today in this episode and if you have any information that you would like to give us, propose topics or photographers or simply give us your opinion about the podcast, please contact us by mail on our social networks which are in our page. And especially for those who listen to us in Spotify and Apple Podcasts, we remind you that we have this page in which we upload articles on each topic and of course photos that further illustrate the situation. Thank you very much for joining us today and see you next Wednesday at 6 a.m.